triangle, all my friends and neighbors. It's a hard life here. Very hard. Do you know how they make it through each and every day? They believe. They believe it's going to be better. They believe that the water will come. They believe against all odds and all evidence that tomorrow will be better than today. People have to believe in something. Right now, they believe in you. Pick it up, Mr. Rango. Your destiny awaits. People have to believe in something. And there we have it from the popular film Rango. Any of you see this movie? Yeah, kind of a strange movie. It's an old, like the old spaghetti western, but with you know lizards and turtles. And that town is a town called Dirt, where there's no water. And that lizard, whose name he calls himself Rango, has stumbled into the town by chance and becomes something of the savior of the town to try and find water from the town. And the sheriff there, the turtle, uh, talks about everyone needs to believe in something. And today, Rango, they believe in you. And the question is, is that enough? And is that sincere belief enough? But that's a typical message that's preached by popular culture. We meet in a, in a movie theater, and as I've told you before, I'm always watching to see what's popular and what's taught by what's popular. Um, and a lot of the popular movies that are out there are pontificating to us messages about faith. The most popular movie series of all time, the most popular domestic gross of all time, uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Any of you ever seen this film? Okay, I've seen it. Did you know that that series is preaching to you messages about faith? It is. And you got billions and billions of dollars and some people have Star Wars faith. Uh, the faith system of Star Wars actually is very similar to Zen Buddhism. Uh, and the idea that you have the force and you have the, you know, the light side of the force and the dark side of the force and you can use the force to create reality, change reality, you know, move things in thin air and all of that kind of stuff. And some people believe that and they have what I would call Star Wars faith. Uh, Avatar, the most popular movie of all time worldwide, close to $3 billion in, in ticket sales. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Uh, the message of Avatar and the faith system of Avatar is directly uh, what you would call pantheism. That's what it is, the worship of nature. Uh, is very prevalent in the film. The worship of various kinds of spirits, which we would call animism, is very prevalent in the film. And people absorb this type of stuff and make it part of their beliefs, whether they realize it or not sometimes. And a lot of people have kind of an all-dressed pizza faith system. They say, well, I believe in the unseen world. Uh, this is how I understand it. And I'm true to those beliefs and I'm authentic to those beliefs. Are those beliefs enough at the end of the day? Let me talk to you about three popular kinds of faith in the world today. Three popular kinds of faith. And I would contend that we in the church, 
people who professing believers in Jesus also adhere to these things, sometimes without even knowing it, and we do so by playing with various texts of Scripture. Let me explain to you what I mean. Uh, Number one, faith in faith. This is very popular today. A quote from William James. You'll see a couple of quotes here from various philosophers and, and skeptics of the last hundred years or so. William James said this, Be not afraid of life. Believe that life is worth living and your faith will help create that fact. That's faith in faith. That's very similar to Star Wars faith. The idea that faith is some kind of force that we can manipulate to create reality. And the faith is the power that we really, really need. The power of faith is all that we need. You say, well, I don't believe that. I'm a Christian. Let me show you how Christians do it. They take uh, a famous passage uh, out of the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 11. And what we'll do is we'll take this passage, which deals with the cursing of the fig tree story, a very unusual story where Jesus uses a fig tree as an illustration And in his conversation about how he cursed this fig tree, he says this to the people, Have faith in God. Watch. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they will say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, And it will be yours. And what we do is we take that little passage that I've underlined and italicized and we forget about the rest. Do not doubt in your heart. Believe that what you say will happen and it will happen. What have you done? You've you've done exactly what William James said. You have treated faith as something that will help you create fact. And this is faith in faith. Uh, And we use the Bible uh, to do that. Uh, The question is, does that make sense? Is that what the meaning of the passage is? Well, we'll look at it in a minute. Another uh, popular kind of faith, faith in self. Uh, David Elton Trueblood said, There is no objective standard by which truth may be determined, so that truth varies with individuals and circumstances. This is a modern, uh, what we call relativism today. Uh, And the idea here is that, well, what's true for you may not be true for you. And, you know, there's various kinds of truths and they're all equal. And we have no objective standard by which to determine these things. So what happens in a case like that is we determine what they are. And we make the rules and we determine what those various kinds of truths are that we believe in. But what that ends up being is faith in ourselves, because we create it. We make it up, we make all the rules, and so whatever suits our needs, this is our faith system. And this is very, very common today. Do we do that with the scripture? Well, indeed we do. The same passage, uh, if you read it with an emphasis on the back end, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer. Wow, whatever you ask for in prayer. I ask for the Powerball victory. I want to win that Powerball lottery. Whatever I ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. 
I believe for a new Tesla. Have you seen the new Tesla that's coming out? $30,000, they've got the price down. Well, I'm believing for a Tesla. I'm believing for the Powerball win. Uh, you know, when people get tired of their, their spouse, I'm believing for a new spouse. <laughs> you know, I'm believing for a new job. Whatever, because Jesus said whatever. Well, you know what we've done when we place the emphasis on that part of the verse is what we've done is we put our faith in ourselves. It's what we want. It's what we think we need. And it's all about us. And it's not really about Jesus. It's about our needs being met. It's about what we want to be fulfilled because after all, it says whatever you ask for in prayer. If you believe you've received it, it will be yours. It's quiet. It's very quiet in here. Another popular kind of faith, the third kind. A faith in something or someone outside of ourselves. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, made this very, very famous. So they say in their 12-step program, find a power greater than yourself. Uh, Learn to depend on that higher power. Ah, so this is the idea that the, the addict needs something or someone outside of themselves in order to deal with their addiction. And one of the great things about Alcoholics Anonymous, which some, some Christians have issues with the whole system, but one of the great things about Alcoholics Anonymous is the idea that you have a problem with yourself and that you need something from outside of yourself to help you manage your problem. And this is, this is quite um, uh, a revelation to people who cannot admit that they have a problem. I have a, a precious uh, a friend, a pastor, former pastor, and uh, he uh, was a raging alcoholic and went through the whole Alcoholics Anonymous and the whole 12-step program and has explained this to me. And this is the idea that there has to be something outside of ourselves to help us with our own issues within. And this is a popular kind of faith as well. And this is starting to get close to what the Bible really teaches about faith. And the truth is that faith always, regardless of what kind of faith it is, faith always has an object. It always has a focal point. There's always something that someone believes in. It may be faith itself. It may be self. It may be something outside of themselves. But faith, when you think about it, always has an object. It always has a focal point. Here's what Jesus said. Have faith in God. Ah, the focal point of our faith is to be God Himself. The object of our faith is to be God Himself. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, again, under the predicate of having faith in God, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Um, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, oh, in prayer to who? Well, in prayer to God, presumably. So the idea is all of this is under the umbrella, under the auspices of God and who God is. That changes the rules a little bit. That means if I say, God, I want to win the Powerball, and this text says that I will win it. 
Well, I'm wrong. What I'm doing there is I'm not praying to God, I'm praying to myself. (laughs) I put faith in myself and I think that I can twist God's arm so that I will win the Powerball. And the odds of me winning the Powerball are about about as good as me being struck by lightning right now in this room. Not very good odds. Uh, so it, it, you're asking in prayer and you're asking God because He is the object of your faith. And that changes everything. So faith needs to have an object. The question is, does, that, does it matter what the object really is? And if you look into the pages of the Scripture, uh, it matters intensely what your choice is in terms of that object. It's a matter of life and death when you look into the words of Jesus, when you look into the Scripture. Saving faith, faith that saves a person, faith that allows a person to experience a connection, a relationship with Jesus and all that that entails, saving faith has to have Jesus as the object. It can't have... Uh, We don't know what is the object. It can't have faith as the object. It can't have self as the object. It has to have Jesus as the object. John chapter 8, verses 21 to 25. Jesus is in various debates with very, very religious people here. And you should read the whole uh, chapter of John uh, 8 and see the various things that he goes through. You've got a woman caught in adultery there and all the different stuff that's going on in John 8. And in one of these conversations, once more Jesus said to them, I am going away. He's talking to religious people. He's not talking to people of no faith. He's talking to people who have a very clear understanding, or at least they think, of what they believe. I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in you your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that what he means? What what is he saying? Where I go, you cannot come. And he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. He's talking to religious Jewish people. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. Wow! Very critical what the focal point of faith is according to Him. If you do not believe that I am He, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. And they had such a hard time grappling with the idea that this Jesus was in fact God in the flesh. So for him, and for the Bible, the focal point of your faith is a matter of life and death. It's not, well, it doesn't matter. No, to Jesus it matters a whole lot. And the thing about him is he won't tolerate other focal points of faith. If you put another focal point of faith in there, then to Jesus that's an idol. He won't share the space with anyone. Once you become a follower of Christ, what you're doing is you're saying, all the rest of my objects of faith are now out the window. And He is the primary occupier of that space in my life. And He is the one who's the object of my faith. Do you see the difference between that and faith in faith? Or faith in self? It changes everything when you say, well, I really put my faith in Jesus. 
That's a big, big difference. Well, but, but okay, that's good for the Christians. I mean, but I'm sincere. I'm really sincere in my belief system. I mean, I believe that, you know, if I follow kind of the, the natural and if I follow instinct and if I'm sincere and I don't lie and I'm authentic to those beliefs, isn't that enough? Like, doesn't, doesn't that matter in the end? Doesn't that count for anything? I'm sincere in what I believe. Well, the problem with that is you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. You can be very sincerely wrong. Um, There's a large group of people who still believe that Elvis is alive. You see the picture on the screen? It's him. Well, are they right? They're not right, they're wrong. But they're very sincere. They're very sincere in their beliefs. They sincerely believe that Elvis Presley is alive. They have corroborated a number of things to to discover this. And you know, I've even seen articles where Elvis is going to run for president. I wonder what his meeting with Putin would be like. But I'm sincere in my beliefs. There's a, there's a group of people who, who still believe that the earth is flat. And I don't know if you can read the caption there. Could 200 million people be wrong? Yes, a lot of people who allegedly believe that. Could they be wrong? Um, and the little caption there, are your beliefs your own? Get uncomfortable. So what they're, what they're preaching there is the amount of people who believe that the earth is flat is 200 million people. Could all those people be wrong? But, but they're sincere. They sincerely believe that the earth is flat. Could they be wrong? What if the things that you think are so right, what if your trust in your natural instinct, in your natural way of observing life, what if you're wrong in that? And the way that the that the, the the culture and that the world operates, for the most part, is if it's if it comes natural to me, if it comes instinctively to me, and especially if it feels right or if it feels good, then it must be okay. Then it must be right, and I need to follow that particular path because that would make sense to us. This is the way that, you know, I'm designed or created or however I came to be. And so I walk in that way, I walk in that path, and I'm sincere in that path. Well, what if that path is wrong? What if your instincts lead you astray? What if your following of your natural ability leads you astray? What if you can be sincerely wrong? And this, in fact, is what the Bible teaches emphatically. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We've heard that so many times, but slow it down and look what it's saying. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that's saying to you is your instincts can be wrong sometimes. What that's saying to you is that the natural way is not necessarily the right way. It does not hit the mark that God has established. So you can follow yourself You can follow what comes naturally. You can follow what comes instinctively. You can create your own reality that way, but it's going to lead you down a path that's far from God. Wow. 
So that means that you can't necessarily trust your instincts because according to God, you fall short of His standard. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, we were by nature deserving of wrath. There's an old saying that we're, we're born with our fists clenched against God and we die with our fists clenched against God the same way. Uh, and the scripture teaches that, wow, the problem that we have is a problem inside of us. And we're born with this nature that opposes God. So we cannot find the answer within ourselves. We cannot find salvation in ourselves. Faith in faith won't do it. Faith in ourselves won't do it. Faith in an object won't do it unless that object is Jesus himself. Wow, that's a very, very narrow window. But this is the window that the scripture portrays for us. We can be sincere and we can be wrong. We can believe something with great passion and great might, but it could be the wrong thing. And this is why the salvation message is so important for us. We need a revelation of God from the outside. We cannot find it from within. It's not good enough. God has to come and God has to reveal himself to us and God has to show himself to us from the outside. So in that passage in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll end with this, this is how the context is. As for you, speaking of people who have now been redeemed, and most of you in this room, I think that's the case for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit referring to the devil there who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. Wow, what a statement. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's bad, bad news. Uh, for humanity. But, because of His great love for us, a love that we sang about a few moments ago, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And that's the good news uh, that we celebrate you are so, so quiet. I don't know if it's the rain outside or if I've got you sleeping, but maybe I've got you thinking uh, along these lines. And so on that note, I wonder if there are any questions about what you are hearing today. I've pricked something in your mind and you'd like a little bit of clarity on it. Can you just raise your hand and tell me? Yes, Dennis. I'll do that next week. Yeah. So next week, don't all religions lead to the one, the same God? Aren't they just different faces of the same thing? Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. That'll be a good reason for you to come back. <laughs> Anybody else? I've got you thinking today. Some of you, you believe in Star Wars and Avatar? I offended you? I'm not sure. Sure they do. This is a great question. Um, in fact, somebody asked me that question last week. 
So what happens to the person, uh, let's say they live in Pandora, you know, for those of you who've seen, who've seen Avatar, you know, I'm, I'm jesting a little bit, but let's say they live in a, in a place and they've never heard about Jesus. If the, if the window is so narrow and it's, well, the object of your faith must be Jesus, what, if, what about the person who's never heard? Surely there would be people who have never heard today. Uh, and this question is asked very often. The scripture gives somewhat of an answer to it, Dennis. Uh, in, in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, it talks about how God has revealed himself through what he's created. And his divine nature and, and his, uh, his Godhead has been revealed through what has been created so that men are without excuse. So this is the idea of a person, little child, can look up into the starry night and wonder, how did that get there? There's a revelation that God does constantly through what he's created. Even if you look at yourselves and you, you study yourselves a little bit, you study the human body, you study creation, you study nature, the more that you look into these things, the idea of the scripture is that God is revealing himself and his existence is being revealed through what he's created. So the person who lives in Pandora uh, is without excuse. However, the scripture also puts the onus on the church. And in the same book, in the book of Romans, it says, well, how can people call upon Jesus if they've not heard of him? And how can they hear of him unless someone tells them? And how can someone tell them unless someone is sent to tell them? So there's, a, there's an onus on the church, on the, the believers, to be spreading the message of Jesus. And there's also the responsibility of common humanity to look up at the revelation and say, well, how'd that get there? And to pursue that. So there's two, you know, there's two tiers there. Does it fully answer the question? No, it fully does not. Uh, in the end, we have to trust in the justice of God. No, but what it'll do is it'll, it, it, according to, to Romans, it should reveal, if the person is, is looking, it should reveal the idea that there's a creator of some sort. Is that, is that enough to be no. And this is why the onus is put on the church. How can they call upon Jesus if they haven't heard of him? And how can they hear of them unless the church does its job? Now, now, but it doesn't answer your question fully. It, it doesn't. It's unfair. It's not his fault. Well, but this is why I say, uh, in the end, we trust in the justice of God. And, uh, you know, there are many, I, I personally believe that there's going to be many surprises in heaven. Uh, I've done many, many funerals, and there are many people who I've done funerals for, and people have made assumptions about those people and the way that those people have lived their lives. Uh, but I have stopped making such assumptions. Uh, it is God who knows the heart of the person. The best thing that we can say is nobody is saved uh, except through Jesus. Who's calling on him and who's not? This, in the end, we leave up to God to decide. Uh, and we have to be very careful who we pigeonhole uh, and, and who we don't, if you understand what I'm saying. In the end, uh, as Genesis says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? 
uh, and we trust in the justice of God. Personal story for me, uh, those of you who, who call this church home, you know this, that my father passed away at the end of January. And, uh, you know, the relationship between me and my dad, especially the last four or five years, has been horrendous, awful, awful, terrible uh, relationship and the communication, just terrible. Uh, but over the years, I made very certain uh, that my father knew the gospel message. Right? If there's anything that he knew, it was the message of the narrow road of Jesus. What he did with that road, I do not know. But I trust in the great judge, if you understand what I'm saying. And that gives me a little bit of consolation. So in the end, there, the, you know, the scripture doesn't compromise, but the scripture also declares the righteous judgment of God at the same time. Does that make some sense? Anybody else? Your, your minds are stirred. Do you have any questions? Please, please don't be shy. Do we have time? Yeah, we have a couple more minutes. So quiet. Yes, Kai. Yes, so the Lord says in the last days, a lot of people will come to me and say, Did I cast out demons in your name? Mm-hmm. Did I perform miracles in your name? Mm-hmm. Then I will say, Well, yes, you did. Mm-hmm. And right, I never knew you. Yeah. So, No, what, what Jesus is talking about there, uh, many will come to me on that day, he says, and say, did we not cast out demons in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So where's the real, um, to use a modern term, the relationship? What he's saying is, you, you, you've put your trust in all of the external stuff, and in all, uh, even the supernatural stuff. I mean, you've got people using the supernatural, uh, or trying to use the supernatural all the time, uh, back in that day. Uh, Even in the book of Acts, what do you see? Uh, You know the story of the seven sons of Sceva, uh, and they ran around and they tried to do exorcisms in the name of Jesus. Presumably some of these worked, otherwise they wouldn't keep trying. Well, there's a story in the book of Acts, and they try and do that with the person, seven, seven men. And the person says, uh, Paul I know, because they say to the person, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. And they're trying to, for lack of better words, cast a spirit out of someone who apparently has one. And they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, get out. And so there's an answer back. It says, well, Paul I know, and, and Jesus I know, but you I don't know. And the one guy beats up the seven and leaves them naked and bleeding. This is a little bit of what Jesus is talking about. It's not the fact that the person does the supernatural in Jesus' name. That's, that's, that's all well and good. But that is not necessarily an authentication, a proof of a person's deep understanding and connection with the Savior. A person may have all the fluff and all the smoke and mirrors on the outside, but on the inside there's nothing there. And this is what Jesus is driving at. Uh, And and in the context, he's talking to people who are predominantly religious people, who know about the exterior and who know about how it all should look. And he's saying, listen, even all of that, even with the supernatural, on the inside what's really going on between you and me is what he's after. 
Do, do you follow what I'm saying? So uh, to put it in a modern day context, you know, I've been to so many church meetings uh, and sometimes I'll even go to them as experiments, you know, where you have all of that stuff happening and you have, you know, alleged signs and wonders and the miraculous happening. In the end, God looks at the character of the person. Uh, he doesn't just look at, wow, look at the super preacher and look at the, look at they're doing, seem to be doing healings and signs and wonders publicly in front of people. In the end, that's not the thing that impresses God. In the end, what's going on inside that person's heart? You see? And that's what Jesus looks at, not just the outside stuff. We look at the outside stuff. He looks at the inside. The Lord looks at the heart. Does that make some sense? Good. I'll take one more. Going once. We've had two on this side. What if we went and see if there's any on this side? Going once. Going twice. Going three times. FIBA, you look. Yes. 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 On the Aboriginal people, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so the so 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 today I I I just thinking that the generation they they must be against the Christianity. Well, yes, because and what she's talking about put you on pause. Uh, and Phoebe's doing a course at what level? Okay, Bachelor of Nursing University doing a course on the Aboriginal people and the abuses that had taken place really in the name of Christianity and what that does through the generations and how it paints a brush, a bad brush, uh, against Christianity. And to Dennis's question, well, how, how is a person supposed to believe in Jesus when, the, when what they've seen of Christianity is abhorrent? It's completely opposed to Christianity. How, what, how's a person supposed to do that? That's a very, very valid question. And again, the onus is back on the church. If the church is not doing its job in presenting the gospel message to people in a clear way, in an authentic way, I can, I can assure you that what was done to the aboriginal people, that's not Christianity. That's... Uh, that's monstrosity. I mean, that's totally opposite. Next week we will talk about that uh, when we talk about the whole thing about don't all religions lead to the same God. Again, there's been many things that have been done to people in the name of Christianity that have not been Christian at all. Uh, I come from, uh, from a heritage where basically, you know, the, my people were told you're Christ killers, and we will therefore persecute you. This is why Jewish people do not uh, accept Christianity, because of what was done to them by people who claim to be Christians. Oh, this is a big problem. This is a really big problem. And when you look at what Paul says, uh, it's the church's responsibility. Well, how is the church done with that responsibility? That's why I say there's going to be some surprises on the other side. Doesn't fully answer your question. I'm just teasing it a little bit, but we'll talk a little bit more about it next week, okay? Anybody else?
Usually if a person's smiling, it means they want to go or they want to ask a question and I have to pull it out of them. Stand with me, please. We're going to close in prayer. We don't need a song at the end. Hope this has been helpful for you. We're going to do this again next week and we're going to talk about this idea. Don't all religions lead to the same God? And then the third week we're going to talk about isn't Christianity, which we teased a little bit today, isn't it really just another religion? What really is the difference? 